Karina, the IMF has again downgraded its outlook for uh, South African GDP to just 2% now, and they are citing electricity shortages as the primary reason. Now, what can be done to actually stem this downward spiral? You know what, Sakina, as a country and as an economy, we really cannot afford this lack of leadership in the electricity crisis. Yesterday, Peter Atard Montalto, who's the senior emerging market economist at Namura in London, wrote quite a scathing article in which he essentially accused government of knowing how to solve this crisis, but lacking the resolve to make the difficult choices, the unpopular decisions. Explain. Um, Does he go on to expand on that? Yes, yes, he did. He said government is, is still way too focused on voter retention rather on really solving this crisis. But you know what? He went further. He didn't just uh, sort of accuse government. He actually accused all South Africans of being too complacent about this crisis. In his words, he said, we've become too used to load shedding and the lack of energy security. Richer households have generators. The middle class simply accepts it as part of life. And poorer households are still grateful to just even have access to any electricity at all. So he says businesses adapt by reducing investment and changing their patterns to align with load shedding timetables. But unfortunately, of course, that results in lower output and in job creation. In fact, it leads to job losses. And so the question really is, um, I think, you know, has the time not maybe come for us to implement permanent load shedding? And what I mean with permanent load shedding is let's give some certainty. Let's actually know that in a particular area I'm going to have no power from 6 to 10 every Monday and every Thursday morning. Then as a business I can plan around that. I can um, change the working hours maybe of some of my staff. But it's this uncertainty, I think, that is killing our economy at the moment. We can't change the past. We can't change about, um, you know, put choices that were made in the past, but we can do something about how we deal with this problem. And I think there's still too much uncertainty, you know, sort of waking up at six o'clock only to find out that load shedding stage two is being implemented from six o'clock. That's too late. You know, we, we do need more certainty in terms of this. Mm. And just looking at uh, U.S. earnings season so far, Narina, I know it's early days yet, but what are some of the emerging trends? Yeah, so, so even there, um, certainly the, the, the energy crisis sort of, um, and then of course in their case it's not about electricity generating capacity, but the, but the massive decline in the oil price during the last half of, of 2014 is definitely affecting the earnings season in the U.S. But this has been widely expected. You know, we've seen significant downgrades in the earnings expectations in and Participation of this earnings season, and so far um, we've still seen better than expected results overall, um, especially when you look outside of the energy sector, and in particular when we look at the banking sector, we've got quite a number of our big banks reporting this week, so JP Morgan has already come out on, on um, yesterday, and they had a good set of results, um, and so did Wells Fargo, and the interesting thing there is that although there's a decline in, in consumer banking activity um, from, a, from a trading and transactional point of view, especially on the investment banking side, things are still looking quite strong. Today we've got Bank of America, tomorrow Citigroup and Goldman Sachs reporting, and then next week Morgan Stanley, and I think there's, there's certainly um, an expectation that the financial or the banking share um, earnings will be better than expected and, and may actually lift the, the, the S&P 500 somewhat. And just finally, Narina, uh, the world's central bankers and finance ministers are gathering in Washington this week, um, and it's for the spring meetings of the International Monetary Fund and the World Bank. But what are some of the major issues uh, that may come to the fore here? 
So, of course, not surprising, really, is the focus on not just the timing, but also the pace of the Federal Reserve's first interest rate increase. But I think they will also look at the potential of the opposite scenario, and that is basically that the U.S. recovery slows to such a point that the Fed delays raising rates or even has to reverse its course after an initial increase, because this will be indicative of a very weak global growth, and that could potentially have much more serious implications. I think also on the on the radar will be Greece, although it managed to meet its latest debt repayment last week. It's fast running out of cash, and uh, there is now the possibility of a disorderly default, and that could push it out of the euro area, and that would obviously have some, some repercussions around that region. But I think then of particular interest to us is, is the rise of China and this so-called new world economic order. They will definitely be discussing um, things around the Asian Infrastructure Bank, the new BRICS. Development Bank, um, the, the contingency reserve that the IMF has as an alternative sorry, an alternative to, to the crisis lending, but then very much also the debate around the possible reserve currency status for the Chinese yuan. So lots of very interesting things. Finally, I think they'll also be looking at the geopolitical risk that is presented by Ukraine and clearly how it affects Eastern Europe and, of course, the tensions between East and West. So lots of interesting things for us to look at for um, in, in, in Washington this week with those IMF and World Bank spring meetings. Most definitely. Narina Fisser joins us again tomorrow morning as she is a strategist at ETFSA. AM Live.